0: We're finishing the book of Daniel today. Next week we'll be in the book of Revelation. And I want you to know I titled this, The Best is Yet to Come. The best is yet to come. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. We only have three verses. Daniel chapter 12, 11 through 13. And from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,000 335 days, but you go your way till the end where you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word and thank you that we've been able to study the whole book of Daniel. What a man, what a prophecy, what a future we have. And Lord, we know that the best is yet to come because your prophets have told us that you are coming again to establish your kingdom and it will be terrific. Thank you for this time to study your word. Open our eyes. Holy Spirit, teach us what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, As you know, we've been on quite a journey through the book of Daniel. We talked about Daniel uh, taken captive in 605 B.C., and he was taken away from his family. He was taken away from his friends. He was 15 to 17 years old, and he survived and thrived in a new culture. They tried to give him different literature. They tried to change his language. They tried to they did change his name. They wanted to change his diet. They wanted to indoctrinate him to the whole Babylonian culture, but he would not be part of it. He stood, he said, "I will not partake of the king's delicacies. I'm going to continue to serve my God even in this pagan environment." It gives us a little example of how we can live in a pagan America that we can survive and thrive in a pagan America. We also talked about Nebuchadnezzar's statue, which I'll come to in just a second. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they got thrown into the fiery furnace because they would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They would not bow to the idolatry of the land. They would not be indoctrinated. They would not fit in with Babylon. So they got thrown in the fiery furnace. And you know who was in the fiery furnace with them? One like the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe he was in the fiery furnace with them, and they were delivered. We also remember that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. He was humbled in his pride. Daniel had a vision. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you have a chance. Change your heart. Change your mind. He's walking on the palace, and he starts to extol all the grandeur of Babylon and the things that he built and how great and wonderful he was. And he was set out to graze as an animal for seven seasons. We believe that was seven years. And he came to his senses, and he worshipped the God of heaven, the true God. The true God, his, hum, his pride was humbled, and then we then we learned that Belshazzar had writing on the wall, and his kingdom was was wanting, and his kingdom was given over to the Persians. And we know that the Persians took over after Babylon, and then in Belshazzar's kingdom, we had Daniel who refused to bow to, to to any other god, and he continued to worship his God when he was told that he could not worship God as 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 he did in the past. He opened his windows and he prayed publicly and he was thrown into the lion's den. And you know the story. He came out victorious from that. So we've learned a lot of things in the book of Daniel. A lot of things in the book of Daniel. But I want to talk about just a few things here that I think we need to to really focus on. And number one is Nebuchadnezzar's first dream of the four Gentile kingdoms. We have the statue. And I want you to notice that this was how man views the Gentile kingdoms. These are the Main kingdoms that were ruling throughout history. We have Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then we have this last thing of the clay and the iron mixed in the toes, and this is the ten-nation confederation that will come in the future when Antichrist reigns. Man looks at this idol. Man looks at these kingdoms as grandeur. Look at the metals. The metals are, are precious. They go from precious to less precious, but from weaker to stronger all the way down to Rome where it was iron. Now God views these quite differently. He views these as beasts. Beasts. So God views these kingdoms of, 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 of earth as beasts where man looks at them through their own eyes as wonderful and grandurious There's such a word. So we have the statue and then we know that there's going to be a future kingdom that will crush all these Gentile kingdoms. And we have we've seen this picture in the past, but it's the stone that is going to be coming down. And that stone in Daniel chapter two verse forty-five is the Lord Jesus Christ. When He returns, He will destroy Antichrist's kingdom, and He will st- He will establish His thousand-year millennial reign. So we learned that in the past. This is important to remember. Daniel's prophecies were exact. And that's another thing that we want to know. No other world religion has any fulfilled prophecy. Christianity has. Literally hundreds, if not thousands, of fulfilled prophecies. So prophecies were exact. These kingdoms did rise and fall as prophesied. And if you remember, Babylon was followed by Persia, which was followed by Greece, which was followed by Rome. This is about five or 600 years from the top of that statue to the bottom that Daniel saw into the future, and these things happened just like he said. All the way to the next slide, where we had four generals in the, under Alexander the Great. Alexander died when he was young, but he conquered very quickly. He was the leopard of the beasts. He conquered very quickly. And his kingdom was divided in four, just like the Bible said Cassander, Lysimius, Ptolemy, Seleucus. Those were the main players. These we cross out because they have nothing to do with Israel. Cassander, Lysimius, but these two, Ptolemy, Seleucus, fought a war. This is Seleucus, this is Ptolemy, for 150 to 200 years for domination over the the land. And Israel was right in between, and the next map you'll see this, this is a familiar one to you, we had this in the past. This is Israel, this is Seleucus, this is Ptolemy. Israel was right in between. Out of Seleucus comes the evil Antiochus IV, who is a picture of the Antichrist, even setting up the abomination of desolation even worshiping himself as God, just like the future Antichrist will. This war was fought, and this one, Seleucus, ended up being much more evil to the Jewish people than the Ptolemy, the Egyptian portion of this. And again, Antiochus is a picture of Antichrist who hates the Jews and hates Christians, and he caused a lot of hassle in the nation of Israel. So, we study prophecy for a reason. 27% of the Bible is prophetic. And notice I use the word study. It is imperative that Christians study. It's not a cursory overview of the Bible. We study the Word of God. That means you're diligent. You're digging for truth. You're making a diligent effort to find out what God wants us to know. And He wants us to have an idea what is coming in the future, and He holds us responsible for knowing what is coming, at least having an idea. We shouldn't be shocked to see the world unravel as it is because scripture has told us what is going to happen. So we learn that Antichrist will come out of the Roman Empire. We know that the Roman Empire, I don't remember this, but I had a a map of the Roman Empire, which I didn't have in this study, but it was vast and it went all the way over to the Muslim world. So we know that Antichrist and, and Antiochus came out of Syria. So we think that Possibly the Antichrist could be a Muslim. Could be a Muslim. There's a possibility for that. Possibility for that. So the true church is told over and over and over in Scripture to watch and be ready. To watch and be ready. Don't fall for the deception. Watch and be ready. Most of the church today does not study, the global church does not study prophecy because it's too hard, it's too difficult, it's too controversial, it's too scary. I don't want to get the people all scared and worried and that sort of thing. But it is important to remember that Jesus Christ himself expected the people at his time to know that he was the Messiah because of the Old Testament prophecies. We learned about an amazing prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It's the 70 weeks prophecy, and it says this. Just to remind you, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And those 70 weeks, we learned, were weak years. So that 70 times 7 is 490 years. 490 years have been given for your people. Now, there's a specific decree that was issued. This decree was, was issued by a Persian king, Artaxerxes, and, there, and there, it, was, it was expressed in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, that the wall would be rebuilt. So for the time that the decree goes out, until Messiah Negid comes, or Messiah the Prince, or Messiah the King, there's going to be 490 years. That's 62 plus 7 is 69 years. Times 7 is 483 years. 483 years until Jesus comes. There was a chance for the Jewish people to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They rejected him, which was all part of God's plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. We believe at this point Jesus was rejected. The church age started. That is what we are living in now, this very special time in history where God, with, with, with salvation by grace through faith, invites the whole world into his family. His focus here was just on the nation of Israel, who was supposed to take the true God to the nations, but they didn't. Now, the church's responsibility is to do that. The church age will end with the rapture of the church. And then the last seven years, the last seven years to complete the 490 years will start. This is called the tribulation period. Now, there was a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. I don't know if you remember this or not. But he calculated the number of days from the decree to build the wall until Messiah Neged would come And that total number of days was 173,880 days. And to the day, as Jesus came in on Palm Sunday to accept his kingship, that prophecy was fulfilled. You talk about specificity. You talk about accuracy. You talk about God telling everyone who the true God is. We have, through Bible prophecy, confirmation, indisputable confirmation, that Christianity is the right, only way to God. Bible prophecy. So, the gap in time is known as the church age. Antichrist will come up at the very end. Antichrist will be a despicable one. He will con- he will gain control. Remember, he will ascend to power slowly. He's going to be tricky. He's going to be sneaky. He's going to be undercover. He's going to be a military genius, and he will be the one that brings about the peace covenant that the Jewish people will sign with the Antichrist. And this peace covenant, when it is signed, that is the start of the tribulation period. So all through my life and through your lives, there's been this effort to try to get peace in the Middle East. Peace in the Middle East. And it won't come until this guy comes up and establishes peace in the Middle East. He's going to be a military genius. He's going to bring peace peace in the Middle East where no president or other world leader could do it. He'd be a political genius, a financial guru. He's going to be an overall great guy. And most of the world will be deceived by him. Most of the world will be deceived by him. We learn that the tribulation period is a seven-year period of time. Extending from the very beginning to the tribulation to the end, there's seven years. But the worst time will be the last three and a half years. During the seven-year time, God will turn his attention again to the Jewish people. Now it is on his church. Now the church is a global church. Now the church will be extracted, and then God will refocus on the nation of Israel. That's the tribulation period. That's the seven-year tribulation period. It'll be the worst time in the history of planet Earth. And I believe that Antichrist will be possessed by Satan in the middle of the tribulation period. And and at that time, he'll insist that he is worshipped as God. Remember, the abomination of desolation, we talked about this, will be set up in the the temple. The abomination of desolation will be set up in the temple, and from that time forward, he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. And if you do not take the mark of the beast, if you do not bow and worship him, you will more than likely die for your faith. You will die for your faith. When the Jews see the abomination of desolation set up in the Holy of Holies, they have a command. They know, exit stage left, this is what Daniel was talking about. And Jesus actually mentioned this. We've said this several times. In Matthew 24, hear what Jesus says. Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, again, Jesus expects his people to know. Matthew 24 is a prophecy for the whole world, but more specific, it's for the nation of Israel. When you folks see this happening in Israel, you run for your lives and you go to a place called Petra. That's in Jordan. That's in Jordan. And we we had pictures of that up there and what it all looked like during our teaching. So he says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, and understands this is what you do. You don't go to the rooftop. You don't go back to your house. You get out of here as quickly as you possibly can because Antichrist is coming for you. And so they know by Bible prophecy that they are to make their great escape. So those who see the abomination are to flee. And Antichrist is going to try to kill every Jew that he possibly can. And when his plan is thwarted, and those people make it to Petra safely, he turns on the remnant. There's only going to be a third of the Jews that listen. Only a third will listen. Two-thirds will fall for the Antichrist lie. And he's going to turn on those two-thirds, kill every Jew that he possibly can in the world, and the offspring of Messiah, those who believe in Jesus Messiah, the Christians. Finally, in Daniel's vision, in chapter 10, 11, and 12, we were given into insight in what is going on in the heavenlies. The last vision is telling us specifically what is going to happen at the very end with the nations of Babylon, Persia, Greece, how Antichrist is going to come up, and how Daniel was confused by the vision. He was disturbed by the vision. So God sent an angel to tell him, and that angel was held up for 21 days with spiritual warfare in the heavenlies, and we were given a little peek behind the scenes of what in the world is going on in the spirit realm. That this angel was held up for 21 days, and Michael the archangel was summoned by God and says, you go down and help this guy. And he was able to come and get the message to Daniel, who then gets the message to us and everyone future of what to expect in the near future, at the end time. So, there appears to be powers and principalities And high ranking falling angels that are head or or have charge over different areas, particularly those nations that have to do with the nation of Israel, Persia, Babylon, Turkey, all those areas around there have these demonic forces, these powers and principalities that are striving and fighting with the angels of God to cause chaos in that part of the world. And if you notice, you watch You watch your news. You can have all kinds of people die in the Sudan. You can have all kinds of people die in umpteen different places in this world. But you have something happen in Israel, and it is right before your face. Right before your face. You've touched the apple of God's eyes. There's good angels, and there are bad angels. And folks, this stuff is real. The spiritual realm is real. Now, I wanted you to hear something that is, I think, very important, a little segue here. Spiritual warfare is real, and we are to be aware of what this is and what God has given us in order to fight this demonic horde. God has given us in this fight for control of people's mind. Number one, and I think most people here know this, we have in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Now, the armor of God is defensive weapons that God has given us, all of them except the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we are to keep our armor on, keep our armor ready to be prepared. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield, all these things. Be ready. Have them at the ready because the enemy is coming for you. And the battleground is the mind. Is there any wonder why we have so many inputs today? As we get closer to the end, there's more and more effort to control your mind, to control your thinking, to indoctrinate you into a worldview that is against God and against His Word. And I can tell you that the strategy, it will work towards the end, because most of the church, we know, will become apostate. Will fall away from the faith and follow what seems to be right with the world. They'll follow, march lockstep with the world. And if you notice, most of the world has come into the church, and now the church is looking like more and more like the world. The strategy is working. It doesn't have to work. We have the armor of God. Secondly, we are to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. That is a very important aspect of this. Thirdly, we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Remember, it's a mind battle. It's a spiritual battle for control of your thinking, of your thinking. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. It's a battle for your mind. Now, God has given us ways to defend ourselves. Satan's methodologies are very tried and very true. He's an expert. He's been dealing with humans right from the garden on and deceiving. So we have that. Remember that. His methodologies are tried and true. But I I want you to know your defenses are tried and true. What God has given you is tried and true. Very important to remember that. Now, last week we learned that all of life is about God's timing. God's timing. You think you're in control of your life, and you think you're doing whatever you want to do, and you got all these plans. Look, at God's timing is perfect, and He directs our lives wherever He wants them to go. He is involved in us. He gives us free will, but somehow in that, He's working out His plan. God will reveal what He wants to reveal in His time. Daniel is told in chapter 12, verse 4 and verse 9 to seal up the book. Daniel wants to know more. What in the world is all this stuff about? No, not for you, Daniel. This isn't for your time. It's for the last days. It's for the end times. Seal up the book. It's for the time when you see this happening in your culture. Verse 4, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. See, at the time of the end, it will become more apparent that we are in the end. And people will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. The hectic pace of life and how people are running to and fro. We got to get the kids to gymnastics. Oh, so we got to give them to the sports. We got to get them to the banquet after the gymnastic stuff goes out. Then there's the playoffs. And then there's a traveling team. And oh no, who's going to take them here? And, and it's the pace of life, the pace of life, the pace of life, where we get to a point where we can't rest. When we rest, we're bored. And we have to constantly have inputs into our minds. There is no meditating on the precepts of God. There's this constant input from the world around us. We also learn that knowledge will increase. And and I I specifically said scientific knowledge. We know that that's doubling over time. And actually, I had some interesting information that scientific scientific information is actually doubling every five years. And in a few years, it'll be every two years. And a couple years after that, it'll be yearly. All scientific information and knowledge doubling at that pace. It's impossible to keep up with a knowledge explosion that's going on today. You can't keep up with it on your journals. You can't keep it up with it in your even your more modern textbooks. Things change. But I think this knowledge also means knowledge of the end times. These end time events will become more and more prominent, more and more obvious to the student of the Word of God. Most of the world are oblivious. We have to have a clue what's going on. Now, look, we call this progressive illumination. Progressive illumination. As we get closer to the end, the prophetic puzzle will become clear. Now, Daniel had a view, didn't he? Daniel could see right here. He could see his near fulfillment. He couldn't figure out what's going on. He asked two times, tell me what's going on. He had not a clue of what was going to happen with satellite technology. With microchip technology. He had no clue of what's going to happen with the weapons of mass destruction and man's ability to totally destroy himself. And Jesus saying, Lest these days be cut short, no flesh will be saved alive. I think that has to do with God pouring out his wrath on the earth. And also has to do with Antichrist using whatever he can in the nuclear armaments to control the earth. It wasn't until our times that this could be applicable. And we went through those things. God expects us to know what is coming. And he's given us the prophets to help us to know. The angel wanted to know, Daniel wanted to know, we want to know. And there's something very specific that everyone is going to want to know, particularly in the tribulation period. How long? How long will this antichrist be able to rage? How long will this carnage go on? And we are told specifically it is three and a half years. It's from that midpoint Where the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple, where he demands to be worshiped as God, an image of himself, until Messiah comes back three and one half years. There was an amazing statement we read last week in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, that the tribulation will not end until the power of the Holy People has been completely shattered. Then all these things will be finished. Antichrist carnage will not end until the Jewish people realize their national sin of rejecting Messiah, they plead for him to return, and that their power or their pride is completely broken. And that won't happen, it's amazing, till the last couple days of the tribulation. We go through the whole thing before the Jewish people say, he's the Messiah. Remember in Zechariah, they weep. They weep for them, who they pierced. They weep for the one that they that they rejected and they realized who he was, and he receives them back. It will take the entire tribulation period for the pride of the holy people to be broken. All the brutality, all the horrendousness that will go on at the Antichrist will perpetrate on planet earth and on the Jewish people. It has been decreed this will happen, and it is on the near horizon. Remember, it is the pride of the holy people that is at stake here. And, and I emphasize this last time, God hates pride. Now, look, at there's a lot of things that, that, that we, we can sin against. You know, we talk about homosexuality. We talk about transgenderism. We talk about alcohol. We talk about cocaine. We talk about pot. We talk about this. We talk about that. We talk about gluttony. Who doesn't have a little of that cooking? We talk about all these things, lust, jealousy, vanity, greed. But I'll tell you, the thing that God hates the most, six things God hates, the seventh and abomination, the first one is a haughty look, a prideful look, because that's what caused Satan to fall in this whole thing, to just disintegrate, was pride. Was pride. God hates pride. Last time I shared with you a couple of Proverbs, Proverbs 13.10. By pride comes nothing but strife. If If you think God hates pride, and when he deals with pride, it always hurts it always is painful. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we talk to the antidote for pride. The antidote for pride is when self gives way to God and realize who God is and who we are. God is great. We are not great. Remember the prayer used to say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his grace, we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. Amen. We used to say that at school. This was our lunch prayer. Well, that's so foreign today. You can't can't even believe it. When I realize God is holy, that he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Omni simply means all. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's he's wherever you go. There's no place you can go that God is not. He is all-knowing. He is transcendent. He is above his creation. He's outside this creation. He's outside of space, time, and matter. He created this whole thing. God is not like us. A lot of times people think God is just a little bit bigger than us, a little bit smarter than us. Hear what the psalmist says, Psalm 50, 21. You thought I was altogether like you. Oh, no. Oh, no. God is much different than us. Isaiah had it right in Isaiah 55, 9. It's like, heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's a pretty big distance. The heavens to the earth. You gotta be kidding me. No, we're not we're not close to who what what God is. Not even close to it. Look at when you think about God, you think about what humans need to do in relation to God, it is the fear of God. Remember the word is Yahweh. It is the awesome respect that we have for our God. That is what we need fear of the Lord breaks the reign of pride in our hearts. And I'll tell you, when your pride is broken, you will no longer think, I did it my way and no longer I rule. I'm the big shot. No more Invictus. Remember that poem, Invictus? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's the humanist battle cry, how great humanity is. Oh no. Oh no. When you When you bow to God, And you realize who he is and who we are, you realize it's all about him. His will, his way, always. And when I finally realize that God is in control and I have a fear of God, you know what's actually happened to me? I have grown. And remember, you are here for a specific reason, to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then to be on a journey of growing, of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Become more like him and less like us. Now, that's a journey. That takes some chiseling. That takes some ouchies and ouch and oh, and ugh. didn't expect that one. Yeah, that's what it takes. But, folks, once you're involved in this process, you'll know who's the master, and I'll become more like him and less like me. This week, our focus is going to be, as we end this whole series on the book of Daniel, folks, the best is yet to come. This is not your best life now. The best is yet to come. In verse 11 and 12, there's something called a 75 day interval. You see these strange numbers at the last part of Daniel, only place they're mentioned in the whole scripture. This 1,290 days, this 1,335 days. What does this all mean? Well, this 75 day interval is the number of days that it takes from the time that Jesus Christ comes to this earth, defeats the Antichrist, take 75 days to clean up earth. There's several things that will take place and then the millennial reign will start. Now, verse 11 and 12, we'll get a little explanation of this. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, immediately you should know exactly what that time is. The three and a half year point, the middle of the tribulation period, from that time on, there shall be 1,290 days. And then there's another number that's thrown out. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So, things that I want you to know, or I believe we should know. Number one, the demise of the Antichrist is 1,260 days from the midpoint of the tribulation. You know why that's important? Because those believers that are living at that time will have this information and know I can make it. I can make it. I can make it. It has a defined end. My God is coming. Jesus Christ is coming to rescue me, and I can make it through this thing. Even if I have to be martyred, I'm going to say, okay, martyr me, because it's all ended in three and a half years anyway. It's going to give you strength to know that you can stand. Strength to know you can stand. But the 1290 days, that's a different number. The 1290 days is the abomination of desolation remains in the temple prior to its removal, and no one really knows why it's there for an extra 30 days. If that's how long it takes to clean that thing out, there's no explanation for that. And then we have the 1335 days. That's 45 days greater than the 1290. that gets you to the 75-day interval. So there will be 1335 days, 45 days beyond the 1290 days, for those who survive the 75-day interval. Now, the reason that I say that is because you're going to have an overhead here. You have it in your handout. This is Arnold Fruchtenbaum's Footsteps of Messiah, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. Now, this is a timeline. The bowl judgments, remember there are the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. Now, we're going to get into that in a few weeks. Revelation chapter 6. We'll probably get that about six months from now. But that'll be a time when we'll know about the sealed, trumpets, and bold judgments. These accelerate. The sealed judgments are bad, but the trumpet judgments are unbelievable. And then the bold judgments are off the chart. And finally, earth would be completely destroyed if Messiah did not come back. So we get to the end of the bold judgments. And then we have this 75 day interval here that these things occur. Please notice. The first thing that is dealt with is the removal of the abomination of desolation. The second thing that Arnold writes down here is that the Antichrist is resurrected. He's the first fruit of the second resurrection. And he uses a scripture in Isaiah chapter 14 to support this. And I'm having a hard time when I look at that to be in complete agreement with it. Look, you might agree with it, with Arnold. And Arnold is really smart. I mean, this guy is great and wonderful, but I'm just not seeing that. So for me, I kind of like cross that off. And then I look at Antichrist and the false prophet are cast alive in the lake of fire. We know that happens because we see that in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown in the lake of fire alive. And they are there a thousand years later after Satan's rebellion. So we we know that the lake of fire... At least is a thousand years old. I think it's forever, but there's a lot of people that think that hell doesn't really exist. Well, this uh, says it's going to it's going to be there. Then there's the humbling and binding of the uh, of Satan, and that's Revelation chapter 20, verse one and two, when he by one messenger angel is thrown into the pit, and for a thousand years. And then there's a judgment of the nations, and that the nations that have been pro-Israel are the sheep, and those nations that are against Israel are the goats. Now, to be a sheep, to be supporting of Israel during this time, you're going to have to be saved. You're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be filled with the Spirit of God in order to maintain your faith during this time. Then there's the Old Testament saints that are raised, the tribulation saints that are raised, and then finally there's the marriage feast of the Lamb. And I want to talk just a little bit about that. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb that I believe happens when we are raptured and taken up into heaven, and the marriage with the bride and the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that is where we enjoy that special, unique time with Jesus Christ. His bride, his church, very special. Out of all the epochs of time in the world, we are favored in the eyes of God. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the marriage feast that happens at the end of the tribulation where all the guests are invited, all the Old Testament saints, all the tribulation saints, everyone who has believed through the epochs of time outside the church age will be part of the feast and celebrate that. The marriage feast of the Lamb is the event that begins the messianic kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, there's some lessons here. We're living in a world of tumult. Would you agree with that? Is it a little bit uneasy living on planet Earth right now? We don't know what's going to happen. There, there, there's this feeling of what in the world's going to happen next. We have fires in Australia out of control. We have earthquakes that are actually happening as we're speaking. There's, one, there's another one in another country that's, I can't remember, it's close, Puerto Rico. I mean, people are, this stuff's happening all over the place. We have tumult in our political system, tumult in our work. Tumult in the church. Tumult in families. It's happening all over the place. Lessons. When you're living in this, don't panic. God has everything planned out perfectly. Nothing escapes His sight. Please remember that. God is in charge. Secondly, God is the God of order. God's timetable is perfect and nothing can swart His hands. Thirdly, What will occur in the future is a done deal, what we call a feta complete. Jesus Christ will return. I don't care what anybody else tells you, in whatever religion they might believe, whatever falseness that is coming your way, Jesus Christ tells the truth. He never lies. He's coming back for his people. He's coming back to reign on this earth. And finally, you can rest knowing that God has everything under complete control Can you now see the best is yet to come? It is not here. It is not here. Those who place all their marbles in this basket, you're going to be sadly depressed. So, verse 13, rest, resurrection, and reward. The best is yet to come. Three promises to Daniel and three promises to you. The best is yet to come. Verse 13, but you, speaking to Daniel, you go your way till the end, end of your life, for you shall rest, will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Arise to your inher- arise to your rewards at the end of the days. You, Daniel, go your way to the end, and again, that's the end of his life. And I want you to hear this. We who think we're going to live forever. You know, you can take all the vitamins you want. You can hit that treadmill and you can run marathons and you can do whatever you want to do. But guess what? You're going down. And you're going down and you're going down. That's just the way life is. You will die. How do I know that? It's been pointed on the man once to die and then the judgment. Every human has a fixed number of days. Psalm 139, 16, All the days ordained for me were given before one of them came to be. All of them were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows when I come into this world, and God knows when I exit this world. You know what that tells me? I don't have to be one bit afraid of flying. Oh, no, I'm not getting on that plane. Oh, it's going to crash, and I'm not going to be a... Look, you're going to die on schedule, on schedule. God will not forget his servants. You must remember that. He is acutely aware of where you are and what you are doing for him. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Everything. The darkness doesn't hide sin. You can't do it in the closet and think you're getting away with it. Sneak around. No. It's exposed in the eyes of heaven. Just like a big old blasted light is right on you. He's acutely aware of it. He has established your days, and we are to serve him, listen to this, to the end of our lives. Why am I emphasizing this? There are so many people that say, I've done my tour. I've done my part. Now, look, I've said this many times. Your your part may change, but your engagement with doing something for God will never change. Granted, I will not be able to teach here forever. But there will be a day when I step down and I will segue into something else. I just don't go to my recliner, get my clicker, and go, oh, man, this is cool. I'm just into myself now to the rest of my... No, you don't do that. How do I know that? Daniel was 90 years old. This guy from age 15 to 90 in captivity served his God to the end. John... The Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos wrote the next book we're going to study about in his 90s, is still at it. There's no retirement from this. Where that, that's an American thing. That's not a God thing. Paul fought the good fight that the apostles did. I love Paul saying in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I'll tell you this, this, I fought the good fight. There's a good fight and there's a bad fight. And a good fight that you fight is the fight of faith, and I'm going to be in this thing to the end. The bad fight is all these little nitpicky things that we do with one another that create nothing but hassle, nothing but tumult. There's a good fight and a bad fight, and we want to fight the good fight. How long? To the end. That's right. We fight the good fight to the end. There's no giving up. There's no halfway or three-quarters. It's all the way to the end. We can comfort ourselves with something, folks. We know that when this thing is over, we are instantly before God. How do I know that? How do I know that there's not soul sleep? How do I know that we just don't become like the birds or like the dogs and just go to dust? And No, no, This Scripture tells me. Paul says this, when we breathe our last, we are instantly in the presence of our God. 1 Corinthians 5:8, great verse. We are confident, yes, wells, please, everybody knows this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Everybody in the room's crying, oh, and you're having the best time of your life, man. Boom, you are right there. Stop crying. Rejoice with me that I'm there. Jesus' words of hope in John 11, 25, and 26. And he's talking to Mary and Martha. They just lost their, their brother, Lazarus. And Jesus delayed getting there, and they're all kind of ticked off because he didn't get there in time. And he raises them anyway, but he says these words. It's the fifth I am statement. If you did a study in John, there, there, there's I am statements. As he's saying at 7 a.m. statements. he's saying, I am the eagle, am I? I am the God of Exodus chapter 3. I am that one that was speaking in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. He said this, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, he will never ever die. Then he said this: Do you believe this? That's a question for all of us. Do you believe this? I believe this. What a promise. We never really die. We simply transition into the presence of our God. What a promise. That's a great promise. While we are here, folks. We are to fight the good fight of faith. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the work of him while it is light, for the time is coming when no man can work. This is our time. This is our time. Don't flitter away your time. Use it for something purposeful. Make your life of value, of value to the God. Everything else is passing away. What we do for him will stay. It will not be burned up. Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. The best is yet to come. We will rest, but you will also arise. The promise of the resurrection. Every person born will rise from the dead, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame. And folks, this is important. If you've zoned out, this is a zone in time. You can see that believing in Christ and trusting him for salvation is of the utmost importance. This is critical. This is critical. It's eternal. This is our time, folks. It's our time to believe in Jesus Christ. Will we shine like the brightness, like it says in Daniel 12, 3? The wise will believe. Remember, believe, commit to, put your trust in, follow the Messiah. Be in the wise group. And and God encourages us, be in the wise group. You'll receive rewards. You will receive an inheritance. This is huge. Now, we know with the Bema seat judgment. We've been through that a whole bunch of times, that we will be judged for our works after salvation and we'll receive rewards or loss of rewards depending upon what we've done for Christ. So I haven't mentioned that. But we will receive inheritance. This is a huge deal. Hear what Paul says in Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs. What is an heir? I'm inheriting something. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a big statement. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If qualifier, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. We inherit what Jesus inherits. Now look at I can't pretend to know what that is, and neither do you. But whatever Jesus has, it must be stupendous. I, I don't have the adjectives. It must be awesome, it must be terrific must be off the charts, okay? And we get what Jesus gets, and it's all because of what Jesus did for us. I didn't earn a thing. I did nothing in this process except say, yes, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. That sounds really good. Yes, I will take that. Yes. Think about this. Jesus left heaven. God, the creator, he actually created all this. I think the whole Godhead did, but he was intimately involved in it. He experienced life in a fallen world. Jesus knows what you know, pain and suffering. Jesus knows what you know, disappointment. Jesus knows what you know about being tempted. But only Jesus knows what it's like to die for those that hate him. Those who want nothing to do with him. Only Jesus knows that. We don't know that. We can't hardly stand it if somebody doesn't like us for two seconds. We want to get retribution. We want our rights. Only Jesus knows what it's like to die for those who despise him. And out of love, he died for all of us. When we were yet sinners, not wanting anything to do with God, Jesus died for us. John 3:16 and 17 is so powerful. We let these words just roll off our tongue. It's so common. God so loved the world that he gave, the giving God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And listen to the next verse. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came. It wasn't to condemn us. It was to save us. He gave us a rescue. Look, there's only one way to get rescued, and that's through Jesus. Picture yourself in an airplane. The airplane's getting ready to crash. Everybody grab a parachute, and they're throwing out the parachutes, and you're going, I don't think I like parachutes. I like rafts. I think a raft's going to save me better than that parachute, because I know better than that stewardess knows. Humanity thinks they know better than God that I can just take my own rescue. I'll take Islam, I'll take Buddhism, I'll take Hinduism, I'll take any ism besides your ism, the Christian ism. I will take anything because I know better than you. Oh, no, there's one parachute. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's it. The door is wide. It's a wide open, but narrow is the way that leads to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's a narrow path, but the door is wide. Folks, Jesus paid it all all to him i owe he offers a salvation to us freely when jesus came to earth hear this he knew what he was doing he knew what was required of him he knew what was at stake and he came to do the father's will and i can tell you he had you on his mind that's what our jesus did our bridegroom died for us, our bridegroom offers us offers us to be part of his family, to be the bride, his bride. He gives us that offer, and we can say yes or no to it. It's that simple. In closing, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, we've been through a journey in the book of Daniel. It, it's been an adventure. At least it's been an adventure for me. I don't know how it's been for you. What a prophet, what an example. Daniel followed God and left a legacy for eternity. Daniel was a Jewish captive, remember, at age 15 to 17, lost his family, lost his friends, lost his future, what he was planning on being and doing. But he didn't take, he didn't take his anger out on God. Daniel thrived wherever he went. He thrived for this reason. He trusted God no matter what happened. When they built the statue and all those wise men were th- lives were threatened and Daniel petitioned the king, he was going to be one of those guys killed. He didn't blame God. He turned to God. When King Cyrus gave the decree that prohibited him from worshiping any god but Cyrus, he opened his doors and was thrown in the lion den. Daniel didn't crumble. He placed his trust in God, come what may. Come what may, I place my trust in God. Daniel didn't crumble. This is the way to live, folks. This is the way to not just survive life on earth here, but to thrive. I place my trust in you, God. That's how we not just survive this, but we thrive through it. Daniel gives us an example of how a person leaves a legacy, a life that will never, ever be forgotten because God will remember you. The poet C.T. Studd said it best, and you know it. You've heard this before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the emphasis I've been giving here. Contrast this with the autobiography of Mark Twain. Mark Twain in his autobiography records the end of someone who never really knew the reason for life, never really knew what Daniel knows, never, never really knew what you know as a believer in Jesus Christ. The only life lived for Christ really matters. And this is sad because this is the sad ending of most people. Hear what Mark Twain writes. A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle for bread. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for a little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them and infirmities follow. Shames and their humiliations bring down their prides and their vanities. Those they love are taken from them and the joy of life is turned to aching grief. The burden of pain, care, and misery grows heavier year by year. At length, ambition is dead. Pride is dead. Vanity is dead. Longing for release is in their place. It comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence where they achieve nothing where they were a mistake and a failure and foolishness where they left no sign that they have existed a world that will lament them a day and forget them forever is that not sad that is the end of most people's lives you might have been the biggest Industrialist in the world, the greatest athlete with the most accolades in the world, and you'll be remembered for a day, and as time goes on, you're forgotten. But I want to tell you this what a contrast for the believer. For believer, you will never, ever, ever, ever be forgotten. You know why? Because your name has been indelibly engraved in the palms of his hands. You are intimately known by God your God loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you he is he will stick with you he will be with you folks the best is yet to come our future studies and I think the future study I think Daniel was great I think all this is great but the book of revelation that's that's going to be cool too there's a special blessing to all who study prophecy especially the book of revelation I want to close with the priestly blessing this is Andy Woods picture. And he said, you guys know this, I just love this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, give you his shalom, give you his well-being. A great study in the book of Daniel. And another great study on the horizon, the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study this amazing book. Thank you for the prophecies that have been given that have already come true. It's amazing, Lord. Each one of these kingdoms followed. Each one of them rose and fell on schedule. All of these rulers were predicted and, it, and came in and left on schedule. We thank you that we can trust that you will come here on schedule, that you will establish your kingdom, a kingdom that will never be overthrown. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. That Jesus Messiah is coming. is coming to earth and he will reign for a thousand years. And we can be part of that reign. That's part of our inheritance. Thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you for Daniel, a man of God who never compromised his whole life. Who fought the good fight to the very end. May that be said of us. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.